This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Academic Life. This is the podcast for your academic journey and beyond. I'm the show's creator and host, Dr. Christina Gessler, and today I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Brianna Barner, who will be sharing about her new piece, Tips to Finish Your Dissertation. Welcome to the show, Dr. Barner. Thank you so much for having me. I am so glad that you're here and that you're going to share your wisdom on tips for how to finish the dissertation. Before we dive into the piece that you wrote, will you please tell listeners about yourself? Yes, so I am an assistant professor at the University of Maryland in the Department of Communication. I am originally from Chicago, and I live here in Maryland with my husband and my three kids. I study Black podcasts. I am a podcast um, nerd, (laughs) and so I'm super excited to be on the podcast. And I am trying to get back into crafting. Um, I'm also trying to get used to talking about more than just (laughs) academics when someone asks me about myself. So I wanted to be intentional about including something non-academic about me. That's hard, isn't it, after you finish the PhD to go back into the fullness of who we are? We feel like we were, I'll speak for myself, I felt like I was encouraged to leave that behind. And I I missed so many pieces about myself, but figuring out what they were and what they meant now was a journey. It was, and I was so used to, like, that took up so much of my life um, and my identity that I kind of felt kind of like I was floating afterwards. Um, And so I had a postdoc um, for two years when I graduated, and then I I transitioned into an assistant professor. Um, So I was in the same department. And during my postdoc, and I also wrote about this um, for a separate piece for Publish Not Parish, and I talked about how, you know, that was a really healing space for me. And during that time, I really focused on crafting, and it was just amazing. And I'm trying to get back (laughs) to that space 
because I enjoyed it so much. And like every day I am trying to get closer and closer to the joy that I felt during my postdoc. And so that is one of my goals for the year is to get back to that spirit because I was so much more happier. And I think that my spirit needed it after being in a pretty toxic PhD program. So that is my goal for this year is to get back to my postdoc version of myself. And reclaiming joy. Yes. I have people in my life who can tell when I'm, when I'm doing that work and they'll say, you sound more like you. Do you have someone in your life who, who can sort of be a mirror and say you're, you're working on your joy right now? Yes, I have lots of friends who I've shared with that, you know, I'm trying to get back, like you said, to reclaiming joy. And so they'll ask me like, hey, you know, you said you were wanting to get back to crafting. You know, how is that going? One of my best friends was in town this weekend um, for my daughter's birthday. And she was asking me, you know, like, what are you doing to like, she literally asked me, (laughs) what are you doing to, you know, get back to being joyful? Because she knows that crafting was one of my goals. and so. that is something that I'm just, like I said, trying to be intentional about. And so I scheduled a ceramics class for myself and a friend um, in, actually it's next weekend. And so I'm really looking forward to that. And I bought myself some yarn. I'm trying to get back to crocheting. And so I'm like trying to do little stuff like that to like really kind of start the process. I haven't started crocheting yet again, but it's on my list. <laughs> and crafting in general though, I just I I enjoy, you know, doing things with my hands that don't involve typing <laughs> or writing or reading. And so or I should say reading for uh work for pleasure, I have also started reading more. And I would not reading physical books. I've been listening to audiobooks. And so that brings me a lot of joy. Last year I listened to 19 books and I was very proud of myself for that because I set a goal of listening to 12 books. And so this year I didn't set a number goal. I just wanted to continue that practice. And so so far I've read I've listened to one book and I'm currently listening to my second book of the year. We've given listeners a very hopeful glimpse of life after the dissertation that you will find yourself again. You will get to have hobbies and interests again if you've been either by um, toxic encouragement or by necessity having to leave those at the wayside. Um, Your piece that you wrote for Publisher Parish is tips to finish your dissertation. And I invited you on to share those tips because I wished I had had that article to read when I was finishing mine, and I'm thankful that you wrote it. Um, Before we start unpacking for the listeners what your uh, wisdom tips are for how to get PH done, um, what inspired you to write this piece and put it out into the world? So it actually started from a Twitter thread, or I should say X thread. No, I'm going to say Twitter thread. <laughs> um, because I I don't even remember kind of what inspired me to just kind of tweet my thoughts about the dissertation. But I, um, I have been... Um, not co-working, but accountability partners with someone who is finishing up their dissertation. And so I think that working with them and encouraging them and just checking in every day with them has, I think, kind of inspired me to think back about my own process and like what I would have wanted 
to know. And so one day I just got on Twitter and started tweeting about, you know, hey, I, I wish I would have known these things. And I was like, oh, there's more. And, you know, I just kind of said, you know, what came to mind and the tweets went viral, um, sort of. And so um, I reached out to Jen, who is one of my um, former committee members and now a colleague and a friend. And I reached out and I was like, Jen, I think I should do something <laughs> with these tweets. And she was like, I was hoping you would say that. And so um, I wrote the piece because, you know, I know that not everyone um, has, you know, is on Twitter still. And so, you know, or it might have gotten lost in you know, the algorithm. And so, but I also wanted to kind of expand upon what I was thinking that wasn't reflected in the um, tweets. And so that's where um, the article came from. I also have been wanting to do more public facing work. Um, and so writing for Jen's newsletter has allowed me that space and I've really been enjoying doing so. And so this was my second piece and I um, want to do more public facing work. And so the response that I've gotten from both of the blog post that I've done for Jen has been really positive. And so that's encouragement for me to continue to um, work on my public facing work. And the piece takes us back to when you were writing your dissertation. So it takes us back a few years ago and you needed to write your dissertation during the pandemic shutdowns. Can you take us back to what your life was like then and how these tips that you've shared with readers and that we're going to share with listeners really matter to you in the real world? So I could never have predicted <laughs> that I would have been writing my dissertation under those extremely stressful um, situations. So I have three children. At the time, I had a five-year-old who was in kindergarten and I had a newborn. And I knew that writing a dissertation with two children was going to be challenging. I had no idea just how challenging it was going to be. The pandemic added a completely different um, level of stress to it. And so I, you know, was finishing my dissertation, applying for jobs in the middle of the pandemic and things were so bleak and, you know, we had no idea what was going to happen. All I knew was that I wanted to be done. But I also knew that, you know, I had the option of staying on if I needed to, because at that point it was like, you know, we had no idea how long the pandemic was going to be. And so I was writing my dissertation with that knowledge. But also, as I said, I was in a toxic program. And so I knew I wanted to just be done. Um, I was also helping my son navigate the pandemic. You know, he had Zoom school, which was an absolute nightmare. And it was even more tough because he's in kindergarten. And I will forever be grateful to his teachers because I have no idea how she was able to keep, you know, kindergartners entertained on Zoom. We had not used Zoom before. My son was not familiar with using, you know, the computer before that he was five. And so I had to help him navigate that, help him navigate his own fears around COVID. I was, you know, I was in the postpartum phase. I had a newborn. It was very challenging. And so I had to figure out, you know, a way to write. And me writing a dissertation is a solitary act and it, you know, can be um, very isolating in the best of situations. <laughs> but writing during the pandemic 
heightened the isolation. And so it was just a very strange situation. But at the same time, it also was like my steady force each day because, you know, the world was in just a state of upheaval, but I knew that I, you know, had to work on my dissertation. And so that was my, the thing I looked forward to. That was the thing that I knew I was going to have to do every day. And so it was what I looked forward to in a sense, because I couldn't, you know, really control anything else, but I could control, you know, how many pages I wrote per day or how many words or, you know, however. And so it was my anchor during that first year of the pandemic. And I will always be grateful to the dissertation that could because, you know, I wrote it in such uncertainty and I was already writing about tough topics. Um, One of my chapters talked about R. Kelly in um, his documentary about his years of sexual assault. Another talked about, um, like feminist podcasts and, you know, how they are used to highlight issues of Black women face. And, and it, you know, those issues, you know, can be very challenging and they're also very personal. And so I was already writing about challenging things, but again, it kept me anchored and it kept me hopeful because I knew that at some point I was going to be done and that will open up whatever was going to open up on the other side, but that that was something to look forward to when there was very little for me to look forward to because of the pandemic. One of the tips that you encourage is for people to visualize, um, to believe in the power of visualization and to believe that speaking things as though they already are will help you get focused and get where you need to go. Can you talk about how those um, help your mindset and help your productivity? Yes. So especially during the pandemic, visualization was very important to me because there was so many unknowns. I mean, I was applying for jobs and my committee members were like, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen. You know, we don't know if these, if there are going to be jobs. And so visualizing was kind of what I held on to. It was like, I don't know what's on the other side. We don't know how long this pandemic is going to last, but I can take myself to a space of, I'm going to visualize myself out of the pandemic. I'm going to visualize myself with a job. I'm going to visualize myself completing this dissertation. And so, um, that was, I, I held on to that for a dear life while I was writing because it was all I had. And I think that there are probably so many people who are writing during the pandemic that can relate to that because it was such a bleak time. Um, and the dissertation was my study force. And so visual visualization was important because I definitely struggle with imposter syndrome even before the pandemic started or, or just kind of, you know, have this daunting task of this big thing, this dissertation, this huge project that was talked about, you know, for so many years throughout the program. And it was this huge thing. And so I would visualize myself completing it. I would visualize myself in my um, regalia. I would visualize myself at my graduation. I would visualize myself with my children, seeing me walk across the stage. And so that really helped me to to see the, the bigger picture and to know why I was doing this work. Because like I said, I was a parent of two young children. And so I was basically getting no sleep. I was you know, breastfeeding my daughter who was waking up every two hours and my son was still not sleeping through the night. So I wasn't getting any sleep. And I would wake up, you know, at five o'clock in the morning and I would work until my kids 
got up to get ready for the day. And that was not easy. I'm not a morning person. And so it was very tough. And I was physically exhausted. And so I think that that's something that people don't think about is like the physical toll that writing a dissertation takes. Like my fingers would hurt. I would feel the stress on my body. It was taxing and visualizing helped because, you know, I was able to understand that I was doing this for, you know, a bigger cause. I was doing this for more than just how I was feeling in the moment. And so I just held on to that for dear life every day that I was getting up super early to complete page by page, sentence by sentence. One of the things that you say in your article is whatever circumstances people are writing under, um, whether health conditions are better now where they live or um, they're feeling more optimistic that the pandemic is under control or not, at any point in time when you are writing your dissertation, you're automatically in a stressful circumstance. Yes. So... I, um, (laughs) the dissertation by design isn't, you know, meant to be difficult. It's a, it's a test of your, your, it's not, it's not even just about how smart you are. It's a test of you being able to complete a large project. So it's you focusing on, you know, a very specific topic and being able to see the project to fruition. And so I think that more than anything, completing the dissertation is about your willpower. It's about perseverance. And so in the best of times, that is a very stressful situation because, you know, most people have never written a dissertation. And if you are in a PhD program, you are more than likely writing a dissertation for the first time. And there is not really a blueprint of how to do it. I mean, there are books, you know, that can serve as models, but because you are writing about a very specific thing and you have your own perspective, this is new. You are writing this project and it is tough. And I, you know, I'm writing about Black podcasts. There was very little, um, scholarship out there for me to kind of model and so that was uh, that was tough and so even removing the pandemic aspect or being postpartum like the situation was going to be tough regardless because of how huge the project was and so adding additional things like you know a global pandemic like the racial pandemic and the racial reckoning adding having had just had a child adding having to navigate you know the pandemic with the five-year-old, there's all of these different things that just made it even more challenging. And so um, I just, honestly, I was in survival mode and it was kind of just like, I just have to get through day by day. And sometimes I had to tell myself, we're getting through minute by minute. And, you know, sometimes it was like, writing the dissertation is not going to happen today. So I know that some of the things that people say are like, make sure that you write every day. That was not something that was possible for me during the pandemic. And so I had to make peace with that. And so um, once I was able to kind of say, like, you know, I have to do this in what felt like an an alternate universe um, where time just did not exist. It was like, you know, we're going to do this on our own terms. And I that was my motto throughout grad school is like I was doing everything on my own terms, you know, having children, being married. I lived very far from school and commuted. Everything was on my own terms. And so this was not going to be any different. I was going to complete this dissertation um, under my own terms. And I did. You give us a sense in the, in the piece that shoulds are not going to help us. It's about what can we do. Um, 
you talk about uh, giving up on the idea of a perfect dissertation um, to be flexible, to know uh, that life will life and that changing plans is always part of the journey. How did that sense of focusing on what you can do instead of what you should do really help you get through? So the flexibility piece is really important, regardless of if you're completing the gig during the pandemic or not, because you are a person, you're not a machine. And so that's also why I am glad that I kind of let go of the rigidity of writing every day, because even um, on a good non-pandemic day, I don't think I would be able to write every day. Just I'm a caretaker for three children now. And, you know, there's lots of moving pieces that happen with, you know, having children with different personalities and different schedules. So I just, I cannot write every day. And so being flexible in that and like, hey, sometimes writing happens, you know, in 15 minutes and that's all I have for today. And it is what it is. And being flexible to know that, you know, sometimes things will happen in whatever schedule, you know, I plan out for myself is going to have to be adjusted. And at first, it really would make me feel disappointed in myself and I would have to change my schedule or tell my committee, hey, you know, I'm going to have to request an extension. I'm just not going to be able to have this completed at the deadline that I told you before. And it's like, you know, one time, and I'm pretty sure it was Jen who told me this, where it's like, this is a part of the process, um, changing things, you know, like kind of allowing yourself to step into the emotions that you're feeling, allowing yourself to say, hey, I'm feeling some big emotions. I'm writing about really tough things or, hey, I'm feeling some tough emotions because this was exhausting. Hey, I haven't slept or I, you know, I haven't eaten. I haven't drank my water for the day. There's lots of different things that happen that are a part of the writing too. And and I'm not just talking about thinking, I'm talking about just like the regular life things, like taking care of yourself, being a human, taking care of other people, dealing with whatever feelings you're feeling. You might be going through grief. You might be, you know, just all kinds of different feelings. And so allowing that to be a part of the process that you will have days where you just can't write. And that's okay. And not beating yourself up for it. Once I got to that point, I was able to be like, okay, you know, I feel this kind of, these feelings coming back up and I know what to expect when that happens. So when I would feel the big feelings, especially during the pandemic, I would just be like, you know what, I'm not going to force it. I'm just going to, you know, take today off and that's okay. And come back to it tomorrow with fresh eyes. And that usually would do the trick. Sometimes it would take, you know, more than one day. Sometimes it would be two days. But the point is to be flexible, to take the break, to take the time off, but to come back to it. And so once I realized that that was kind of my ebb and flow, my rhythm, then I was able to be so much more compassionate towards myself when it would happen. Because it happened so many times. It was a part of the process. And I learned so much about myself and how I work. And so I think that that's also something important to pay attention to is how you work and to be honest with yourself about how you work. Because it doesn't do you any good to not be honest with yourself and to, you know, if you are not a morning writer, 
I mean, I had to become one, but like, if you don't have those same circumstances, if you're not a morning writer, don't force yourself to be. It's like, that's not part of your process. If you're not a, a, a late night writer, I am not a late night writer. And so trying to stay up late to work, it just doesn't work for me. And so be honest with yourself and like learning your optimal work situations is important because then you can recreate those things on the days when you just don't feel like doing it at all or on the days where you're like, I kind of want to write, but, you know, I don't really feel like it, but, you know, I'm up for it. You can kind of think about what you need to to get the job done. And, you know, even if getting the job done, it's like, hey, today I am writing five sentences. And once I'm done with that, then that's that's all I have for you. And that's okay, too. Let's talk about when you have that time to write, when you're going to sit down and write, whether it's five sentences or you only have bandwidth to edit the two paragraphs you wrote the day before, or you're going to lay down a whole new chapter. You think it's important to develop a ritual. Let's talk about how starting with a ritual can bring your mind into that it's writing time now and I'm going to get this done. Yes. So I am someone who thrives on a routine just in general. And so once I, again, that's paying attention to like what works for you as a person, as a human. And so routines are important to me. And so um, one day I saw someone on Instagram and they were just posting themselves as they were writing. And they, it was so simple, but it was amazing to me. They were sitting at their table and or I couldn't tell that it was their table, but they had, they were, they lit a candle and they were like, you know, this is my process for writing. And I was like, wow, you light a candle before you work. And I was like, yeah, I just, you know, light a candle. And I was like, where, like, where are you working at? And they were like, oh, I'm just at my kitchen table, but I light a candle. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like that, that's so simple, but it, like, I love candles and I like candles in so many other points during the day, why would I not do that during writing? And so I started thinking about different ways that I could just make it exciting, make it something that I look forward to. And so lighting a candle was one of them and I have lots of candles and so I have like different scents. And so that became exciting for me to like look forward to trying out different candles. I also have um, a diffuser and I like essential oils and so I would, you know, try different blends and that was exciting to me. It was something to look forward to. I love tea. So I started looking forward to having my cup of tea while writing, especially because I was writing in the morning. And so I looked forward to waking up and making myself tea. And it's also a mindfulness practice because it's me like taking time to care for myself and like the paying attention to the motions of making the tea. And like I would cut a lemon. So the process of preparing, you know, cutting the lemon, squeezing the lemon, stirring it, adding my agave, all of these different things that, you know, like they're, they're routine and they're mundane, but they were, they became a part of my routine. And so, um, I just looked forward to them and it was like my little treat for myself and the candle would just add like a different mood or vibe. And it, it set the tone of much more than I could have ever anticipated. And it's actually something I need to return back to because I realized I don't do it as much anymore. And I'm in my office and I'm looking at my diffuser right now. And I'm like, I need to actually turn it on. So I need to return to some of those things that I did during my dissertation because I was a lot more intentional 
also I had more time to kind of like sit and think about what works and what didn't work. But I think it's a useful exercise to kind of like tune into yourself and to see what things will motivate you or what things, um, you know, you need in your environment to make it a space that you want to come back to time after time to write. And doing those things that signal safety and care are so important if we tend to be on the anxious side. If we're worried about the project or our experience at grad school gave us imposter syndrome, having that candle, for so many of us, candles are rooted in positive memories and positive ritual. And taking that time to make ourselves a warm drink, that can be an act of caring too. And so we're caring for those worries and feelings rather than shoving them away. Yes. I think that what you just said is so important because I have anxiety and my mind spirals so easily and I tend to disassociate. And so I kind of get into autopilot mode where I'm not checking in with myself, where I'm not caring for myself and I'm kind of just going through the motions. And so taking the time to light a candle and it's so simple, but taking the time to light the candle, to breathe, to, you know, very slowly and deliberately make my tea. Those things were such a gift to myself. And I mean, that process, you know, took less than five minutes, but it was me taking five minutes in the day to say like, I'm doing this for myself and being intentional about it. And I'm paying attention to the things that, that I need to get the work done. And it's not just like, okay, do you have your computer? Okay. Do you have, you know, your notes? It's what do I need as a human? And it's reminding myself of my humanity and that I'm not just a robot that's writing, but that like, it's, I, I am a person and it's, it's also reminding me to not disassociate, to not go to um, auto, go, go into autopilot mode, to check in with myself to see what I need. And so those things are very important, especially because writing the dissertation is such a daunting task. Checking in with yourself is key to getting it done page by page. So our tips so far are to be flexible, to recognize that life will life that we need to have self-care rituals built into the writing process. We need to have a ritual to start off our writing time. Another tip that you offer in the piece is setting writing intentions. Yes. So this is something that I thoroughly enjoyed doing. And so I had like a separate notebook that I would write my writing intentions in. So I would set my writing intentions before I started writing. And so it was a great way to like get my writing juices flowing, but it didn't involve like actual writing about the topic at hand, which especially if I was nervous about what I was writing or if I was unsure about it, sometimes, you know, just starting can be really daunting, especially, like I said, if you're unsure about it. And so writing intentions is still writing and it's getting the juices flowing, but it's much less daunting. And so it kind of goes hand in hand with the visual, the visualization. And so I'm writing intentions and setting intentions about how I want the session to go. And so, you know, if I am unsure, setting a writing intention could look like 
we are unsure, I'm acknowledging how I'm feeling, and we're going to write through it anyway. Or, you know, hey, I'm really sitting with something that I know is about to be a breakthrough, and it's okay. Like, this is exciting. And so this feeling I'm feeling is excitement. It's not necessarily worry. It's I'm excited that I'm about to be writing something really important. And sometimes I would, when I was, when I knew like a writing breakthrough was coming, I would feel unsure or I would doubt myself. And so my writing intentions would also look like, Hey, like you're, you're feeling this way because you know that what you're writing is really important and you're, you know, this is a big deal. And this is, this is a big deal that you came to this argument or like this argument is really flowing that's good. Like, let's keep going. Or, you know, sometimes when I would feel those feelings, even after I started writing, I would just take a break and I would be like, you know what? I'm going to write some more intentions down and I'm going to write out my feelings. And like I said, I have anxiety. And so writing out my feelings, even in the middle of a writing session would help with the anxious feelings. And I would be able to kind of write myself into a state of calm so that I could focus and get back to the writing at hand. Throughout our conversation, you've been in affirming the importance of your work. So many of us lose that by the time we're at the dissertation or by the time we have to turn in a piece of writing, we've forgotten why we care about it or we've doubted mm-hmm. ourselves so much. Um, why will anyone else care? Why does this matter? Throughout our conversation, you've continually modeled affirmations that the work matters. One of the tips that you provide in the piece is to write the acknowledgments, particularly on a day if you're stuck or in a you know rough place, to sit down and write the acknowledgments. And you put something in there uh, that I haven't seen in other places. You said, don't forget to thank yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I am... I probably had about five or six versions of my acknowledgments. Um, and I started writing my acknowledgments actually before I wrote my dissertation, um, just because, again, the dissertation was such a daunting thing to me. And so I was like, you know what? I want to just write my acknowledgments. And this also kind of ties back to the visualization because I was visualizing myself being done even before I started. And that was also my way of affirming myself that you can do this, even if I was like, you know, I don't have anything on this page, I'm affirming that it will get done. And so I wrote the uh, the acknowledgments and I just wrote them over and over again. And I had like a whole page where I thanked myself or not a page, maybe like a couple paragraphs, but I got that actually from Snoop Dogg (laughs) because he has a video where he thanks himself. And I don't know if it was like an award ceremony or something like that, but he's like, I want to thank me for believing in me. And like, he goes on this whole thing. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, this has to be my my acknowledgements. I thought it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And I, you know, positive self-talk is, it can be challenging for me. And so that was also a way of, um, being able to, that was also a way of me being able to, you know, affirm myself and just say like, Hey, you can do this. You got this. And so that was me, you know, affirming myself. And I think that sometimes, you know, we can interpret that as like being cocky or being egotistical, but PhD programs can be the complete opposite of affirming. And it can just feel so 
um, like you can feel defeated and you can question so much about yourself. And so believing in yourself and believing that you can do it is really, really, it's hard work and it's a part of the work. And so um, I wanted to acknowledge the work that I was doing in, in affirming myself throughout the whole process. One of the things that you offer as a tip is to build a playlist of songs that motivate you. Was Snoop Dogg on the playlist? <laughs> no, he was not, but um, he actually should have been, <laughs> but no, he was not on the playlist. Um, I So I had a playlist that I would play every time I sat down to work. And so I would play it while I was writing my intentions. And sometimes I would play it like during my writing sessions, but sometimes like listening to music and writing can be difficult for me. And so like, if I'm like in a really, like I'm in the writing zone, I can't listen to music, but I would, I would listen to it, you know, while I wrote my intentions, while I would light the candle, make my tea. And I had, all kinds of different music on the playlist. And, you know, I had some that was more upbeat. I had some that was more um, serious. I had some that made me want to dance. I just accounted for like every mood possible. (laughs) And so that playlist got me through so much. And so I also had a playlist that I played during my dissertation defense. And so as I was making that playlist, again, more visualization of like, I'm making the playlist for the moment of my defense. And I did this, you know, even before my defense date was set, but I just visualized myself at my defense. And so I also visualized myself playing this playlist and I wasn't even sure if I would be allowed to play it, but I was like, I don't care. I'm going to visualize myself making it. And so when I was able to play it during the defense, it was, you know, a beautiful moment because I had been picturing this moment for so long and it was happening. And so I think that that's, you know, where the visualization really comes together because it's like, I, this moment was in my head for so long and I mean, I would be crying and imagining this moment and then it was there and I was able to, you know, make that playlist be a part of the moment. And so it was, it was a beautiful way to kind of circle back to that version of myself that just wasn't sure this was going to happen. And then the future version of myself is like patting me. It's like, we did it. This playlist is a manifestation of that happening. One of your other tips is about being consistent. You say it's boring, but it works. It is showing up for yourself. I love that framing of consistency as showing up for yourself and pairing the importance of consistency with being flexible. Because if you're going to be flexible and consistent, then you really will show up for yourself how you really are in that moment, letting go of the perfection that you urge us to let go of earlier in the piece. Can you talk about how we're going to frame being consistent as showing up for ourselves? Yeah, so showing up for yourself is a form of self-care. And I know, you know, that we talked about the candle and the diffuser and sometimes self-care can be talked about as like, oh, you know, I got a pedicure, I got this, I got that. But self-care is also showing up for yourself when it is really, really hard, when you don't want to, when you want to give up. Showing up for yourself, writing your dissertation can look like I'm opening up the computer and I haven't opened it up in a week you know, because anxiety has just gotten to be too much. But I'm showing up for myself today by, uh, you know, acknowledging that I was in a rough space and I'm going to open up my computer and I'm going to 
fill this page with words. These words might not make sense. These words, you know, might have to be heavily edited, but I'm showing up for myself in doing this and literally putting one foot in front of the other, one finger in front of the other, one word in front of the other and doing it um, and doing it over and over again. And so over time, the more you do that, it's like, okay, you know, let's say you have one page. It's like, oh my goodness, I have one page and dissertations, you know, can be, oh, almost 200 pages. I think mine was 175 pages. Those pages didn't write themselves, you know, in one day. That was over the course of several months. And that was me, you know, word by word by word. And then it built up, you know, I would finish one chapter and I'm like, wow, I did a chapter. And then I would, do another chapter and then I would do another chapter and so showing up for myself was writing those chapters it was showing up when I didn't want to you know it was writing about things that are really difficult and writing about them and writing through the pain and writing through the nervousness that I felt and writing through the weight of I'm writing about something that you know has personal implications beyond myself but I'm writing about a community that is important to me and so showing up for myself and you know being consistent was important because I knew that I was writing about something that was bigger than me and so when the visualization you know wouldn't work when I didn't feel like turning the tea on when I didn't feel like lighting a candle the showing up for myself is what is what worked. And that was not pretty. You know, sometimes I would literally be crying while I was writing because I was so exhausted. I was so tired. I did not, like I wanted to be asleep, but I knew I had to get this done. Like I'm tired. My fingers, you know, were hurt. Sometimes I would have to get up and walk around my living room and just kind of like talk to myself, but I did it. And so that's what showing up for yourself can look like. One of your other tips, particularly for uh, dissertation writers who are caregivers of any kind, is to not compare yourself to others. Can you talk about um, the wisdom of that philosophy? So there were so many people who told me that I would not be able to be in a graduate program with one child, let alone multiple. And I, again, my model has always been, I'm doing it on my own terms. And so I knew that I wanted to be a parent and I knew that I wanted to get a PhD. Those things did not have to be separate. And so I knew very early on, it was apparent to me that I was on a different um, track than a lot of my classmates because there were not a lot of my classmates who had children. And I was one of the few who commuted as far as I did. And so it did not make sense to compare myself to anyone because they didn't have the same circumstances. And so whether or not I thought I was moving too slow or whether or not I was concerned that I wouldn't hit a milestone, it's like you're on your own path, you're on your own track. And so my advice to other caretakers would be or other caregivers would be to be on your own pace because that's the only thing you can do. And it it you can beat yourself up so bad for things that are out of your control. The kids are going to get sick. <laughs> they just are. Um, you know, if you care for parents, they're going to get sick or, you know, you might have to 
stay with them all day and not be able to use your computer. If you're caring for pets, if you are commuting like I was, if you're working another job, like there's you you have less time. We all do not have the same 24 hours. And I know that people like to say that, but like we all don't. And so you have to be mindful of what your 24 hours looks like and design your workload and your life around that. And the comparison, it just doesn't make sense. Also, comparison is a thief of joy, but beyond that, comparison is a waste of time when you could be focusing on, okay, you know, I don't have, you know, like sometimes people are like, oh, I wrote for eight hours a day. That's fine. I don't have that time. <laughs> and nor do I want to. I don't want to bench write, but I don't. Let's say I was a bench writer. Being a parent, it becomes very difficult to be a bench writer. At least it, it was for me. And so once I was able to make peace with my circumstances, like the fact that, hey, I am I write in the mornings, not because I want to, but because I have to. And I, you know, I didn't have hours every day to work. So sometimes I had 45 minutes and that's all I had. And that's, you know, that was the time that I had to get my work done. And then I can be upset about it. I can be sad about it, but it is what it is. And so what am I going to do with the time that I have? And so I think that once I made peace with that, I was able to progress and move forward with the time that I did have, as opposed to looking back, you know, to see what someone else is doing. We're starting to run out of time. So I want to ask you about the final tip in the piece, which is to remember the journey that ties nicely to the acknowledgements of that we need to remember to thank ourselves and that we shouldn't compare ourselves to others. And in facing our own imposter syndrome, that feeling when we are going on this journey and we're going to finish it, will anybody care that we did this journey? Will anybody ever read what I wrote? You reframe it as a journey for ourselves where we learn so much about ourselves. Can you talk to us in the few minutes we have left about why we want to remember the journey? Yeah, so I think that remembering the journey is so important. It's a process. And remembering the journey, I think, takes the stress of the perfection away. I am a Virgo and I am a true perfectionist. And it's something I've I've struggled with all my life. And when I'm able to separate the perfection and just focus on the journey and the process and acknowledging like, hey, you are doing something big. Writing a dissertation is a huge undertaking. And once I was able to just kind of sit in the fact that I will never have this time again, I will never have this space to be in conversation with these authors, to sit with these articles, to sit with these books, to sit with these ideas. And it's 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 a space of gratitude. I'm grateful to have had that time and I'm grateful for the work that I put into finish. And, you know, once I had the finished product, I it's such a sense of pride for me because, you know, I, I always say I birthed babies and I wrote a dissertation. There's nothing I can't do <laughs> because those things were some of the hardest things I ever had to do in my entire life. And I was able to do them and it's such a sense of pride. And so being appreciative of the journey was just so important to me. So even, you know, learning my writing style, learning my working style, learning my editing style, all of those things were important. And if I didn't take the time to pay attention to those things, then I wouldn't know that. And so I've learned so much, especially because in my job as a professor, I'm going to have to do more writing and more research and eventually, you know, write a book, which is, you know, I've already written a book length manuscript, but writing a book is also going to be, you know, a daunting challenge and I'll be revisiting 
you know, a lot of these tips. But the main thing that I want to always remember is to just trust the process and to be mindful and to not focus so much on, you know, finishing up so I can go to the next thing. But it's sitting in the moment and being appreciative for this exact moment in this exact space because we can't get it back. It won't happen again. And the person that I was as I was writing the dissertation, I'm really, really proud of her because that is a a tough project that I was not sure that I could do. And I remember during the first you know year of my program, I was just like, how am I going to write a dissertation. Like I thought about it all the time. And I was just like, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this. Like, I think, you know, I'm in this program, but I just don't see how I'm going to write a dissertation. And then I did. And I'm just grateful that I was able to just notice, you know, every step along the way so that once I did finish, it was that much sweeter. And finally, what do you hope this episode sparks for listeners? I hope that this episode sparks self-compassion. Um, I hope that this episode sparks joy and curiosity about what it can look like to work in a way that prioritizes your care and your joy and your thoughtfulness and your curiosity and prioritizes yourself as a human um, as opposed to a worker or a machine. Um, and I hope that it encourages folks to Take moments to be mindful because so much of grad school is the opposite of being mindful, but you have the the right to take back those moments and to prioritize yourself and to create an environment that really celebrates who you are as a person and what your needs are so that you can look back at this journey and be really proud of yourself and what and this gigantic project that you completed. Thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Barner, and sharing tips to finish your dissertation. I'm Dr. Christina Gessler, and you've been listening to The Academic Life. Please join us again.